It's episode 107 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Joellen Camus. She's head of design at Narrative Science, and we're going to discuss how to use storytelling and design to make the world's rapidly growing data more accessible and empowering. Joellen, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, really glad you're here. I have a long history with data visualization, and I know you do a ton of work around that. I think we're going to have a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'd like to start by just kind of uh, learning a little bit about narrative science. I wasn't very familiar with them before uh, we were introduced. Can you tell me a bit about that company? Yeah. So we are a, I think we're still technically qualified as a startup. Uh, we're a 10-year-old <laughs> startup. Um we uh, so uh, came out of the a collaboration with the um, artificial intelligence department at uh, Northwestern University, and um, the core of what narrative science, the, you know, the ways that we do it have changed a little bit, but the core of what we do hasn't really changed since we started, which is taking structured data, which there's a lot in the world, essentially like understand, you know, connecting that to some way of understanding it for a machine to understand that and generating stories. And probably the easiest way, the first thing I remember hearing about narrative science, which I didn't know it was narrative science at the time, was I heard about this experiment where uh, they could actually write a story because baseball has so much structured data. Oh, they that could was write, Yeah, they could write a story. So it was the, it um, was the, it, that was, you know, Northwestern and narrative, and, but it's the same, that's the technology and that's the sort of driving forces behind what we do at narrative science. And so they could write a really good story right. um, based on the stats that exist for baseball. I remember so, that. That was about a decade ago, wasn't it? That yeah, that story. Yeah. And, and that for me was a, was a very, I think for a lot of people, a framing of like, oh, AI, I get it, right? Like the there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a bunch of data in the world and we can sort of teach, create an algorithm that gets better over time at actually telling the story. And it was really resonated for me because I started my career as a journalist and I'm like, well, we're the first ones out. There you go. <laughs> the first ones that the robots came for. There you go. <laughs> and it's, and it's interesting because it's, you know, I think it's very, the, what, some of the reasons why I think it's really powerful is I think, you know, we are all, it's been, you know, said all over the place, but we're all storytellers, right? But everyone actually does understand language. Um, and especially with, you know, blog post that's taken me far too long to work on is, you know, called the picture's worth a thousand words, unless it isn't. Mm. Um, I think choosing those first, like it, I think everyone sort of believes, uh, and I would say I do myself sometimes that when you look at a picture, it's more objective and you can see it and you see, oh, okay, I got it. But when you actually have to interpret that, it can be hard specific, um, specifically if that has statistical information or you need to make connections with it or, you know, it's an analyst that's usually for a lot of the dashboards that people use and, and more complex visualizations. It's an analyst who really deeply understands the data that's put that together. And business users may understand that and savvy business users probably do. But there's a lot of folks who it becomes hard and it also becomes hard. What order do I work it, through it in? How do I actually go through and understand this? But something that people don't necessarily have to learn is how to read. Interesting. Interesting. So, so kind of applying that, that uh, well, that example we started with, right? Like there are box scores from a baseball game. 
bunch yeah. of statistics. Here's a narrative of it. Yeah. Right? And so doing the same thing with like a company's financials or, yep. uh, or anything really. And that's the kind of the process that you've been going through is, is, is yeah. that, that translation kind of, sort of. Yeah. Our, our newest product Lexio is specifically focused on business analytics. So, um, we collaborate with Tableau and Power BI and Click, um, but it's also uh, it can also be seen as an alternative to some of those ways of understanding business data. So our clients use it for uh, things like their bookings data or understanding their Salesforce data, um, what their pipeline looks like. Um, they use it for uh, looking at um, education and how much, you know, how they're, how sort of things are developing in mm. the pipeline for education modules that they're developing. That's really, so that's interesting. I want to, I want to like go, let's go back like 15 years. <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. When I first started on some of this, this is like 2004 and 2005 at uh, the, the design agency Adaptive Path. I was working on a product internally and uh, not, not, uh, on our consulting business, but, but kind of spinning up this, this new product, uh, it was called measure map. And the idea mm, behind measure map, that's great. Cause not very many people do. It was, <laughs> we never actually got to full release. We got into beta, but then realized that this is the wrong structure for a consulting company to do things and got an offer to, to join Google. So that was kind of the history of the product. The product itself, the idea was, um, again, 15 years ago to replace like the, the page counters, the stat counters mm -hmm. that people would put on their blogs to see how many times the page was loaded with an actually like some kind of analytics package that would give them yeah. insight to how effective their writing was. Right. So very early sort of, uh, ex exploration into engagement. Um, and the way that we that did that, uh, one of the things I thought was a, uh, a clever solution um, considering my background in publishing and journalism, was that each page of the of the reports was a headline, mm -hmm. right? So it was written in English, and it would say the page with the page title got this many visits from this many unique users, and we wrote it out as a sentence, right? And that sort of structure of – and then you could click on any one of – like you could click on the title of the page, you could click on the – the number of pages and that would open up and you could change it to some other variable and you would cool. navigate by changing the structure of the sentence. Uh, that went on to the fundamental, the, the basis of our work in Google analytics. We can talk about that a little bit more, but that seemed really intuitive to me way back then. Like, Oh, a, a, a sentence is going to be a lot easier than a bunch of, you know, complex UI components. So why don't we just yeah. use the sentence? Cause it gives you the, so what, right. It gives you yeah. like, Oh, what am I looking at? Why it gives you the topic sentence for the paragraph that's underneath that. And that's actually what our headlines, uh, in Lexio do is that it is tell you the, oh, okay. Like our bookings are up relative to last quarter bookings are up, you know? Um, and so I and knew so I should have filed for the patent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it really helps. I think one of the most fascinating things, especially, you know, having grown up um, as a first a print designer um, mm. and I, I spent the first like six years of my career, six or seven as a book designer, everything is about making it visual. And that's actually how you understand something, you know, objectively and everyone can, you know, look at it and see it and, and really have like a deeper understanding. And one of the most fascinating things that we've heard from customers is they feel like the text that they get from Lexio is actually more objective. And it's if the person sees it in black and white, then we all know we're on, we're on the same page. 
And it's really interesting because language is completely subjective, Mm. as subjective, you know, even probably more so than images. And so it's just an interesting, I think it's an interesting space. And I think we're just starting to scratch the surface at what it means to, to make it something that's grokkable by people and that feels like you can compare things. Um, so, and I think what's really cool is that, you know, we've got a lot of technologies that are kind of changing our capabilities for doing that. Do you think that, that, ob- that perception of objectivity is because they know the source or, or is it actually that the language is Don't know. less biased or, or you know, it, I think, a little bit of both. Mm. I mean, my hunch is, my, you know, we do really try to have the language be fairly unbiased. But that said, you know, I think that there's something to it be that to knowing the source, that's definitely important. The other piece is I think it's it's newer and it feels fresher. Mm. So it feels like, ah, I understand now. Yeah. You know, where maybe if you asked them, you know, 10 years ago about seeing something in a dashboard form or, or visualize, they're like, oh, I understand it now. I'm not looking at a table. Right. Right. I'm not looking at an Excel spreadsheet. And if I can make that visual, okay, cool. I understand that more. So um, I'm not sure. And I think it's something interesting that we're digging into. You know, because I've I've been interested in this in the context of how best to disseminate qualitative research across an organization, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. And like writing up a PDF or even trying to like click <laughs> click through a PowerPoint, right? And there's there's always I've I've just seen this a thousand times. There's this researcher who has done a bunch of work and an executive that wants to know the answers and the mm-hmm. disconnect between the two of them where the where the executive is like well you've you know you're filled with bias your research doesn't understand anything about like my needs as you know and right. our company's objective or whatever there's always that disconnect there and i'm wondering like how to get past that you know um, that relationship really so that one so typically well, that's a great question um Typically, we we haven't really hit that as a, you know, because we are usually brought in, a lot of times we've been brought in at an executive level mm-hmm. um, and then disseminated down. We are also, one of the things that's nice about our tool is particularly, so it works, it, it, you know, it works for everyone as an end user, but particularly for execs who are looking at patterns and wanting to see sort of the broader swath, it's much easier for them to see. And so we don't find that sense of challenging. Like I was Lexio saying this, sometimes the, I think where we hit places is, you know, depending on the day, the time, the data refresh, the numbers don't match exactly. Right. And so if it doesn't, like, that's the place where it's like, oh, you know, you just have to sort of get it to apples and apples or something isn't filtered exactly the same way. But uh, we haven't really hit the, I know that I, I absolutely understand <laughs> the presenting objective research that is pretty objective. And somebody's like, yeah, I don't really see it that way. Yeah. I wonder, is, is there a, a layer you could put in between, right? Where the researchers, <laughs> like, I'm, we're going to use this AI tool to sort of you know, <laughs> present for us as a, as a way of sort of di- almost distancing ourselves, you know, from it. I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Uh, I've got some more questions for you. 
This episode of Presentable is brought to you by the Inside Track. Hey, if you're looking for a new show to listen to, try to, you should check out the Inside Track. Uh, it's a podcast from Microsoft with a host, Carrie LaBelle, who interviews industry experts, insiders, and analysts from the automotive industry covering long-term trends uh, around how people have different expectations for their cars and the effects of technology uh, and the industry strategies that they're trying to respond. Super interesting. Um, they have a bunch of segments in every show, like how how artificial intelligence is being used in automotive manufacturing or what's happening with connected vehicles and how they're using cloud simulations, uh, intelligent infrastructure, loads of stuff. They've got guests uh, from big auto manufacturers and and technology platforms uh, or the companies that develop technology platforms for the automotive industry. Super, super interesting. I was just listening to an episode about how the attitudes are really shifting over the past decade in the automotive industry where the manufacturers kind of always left the customer experience to the dealerships. Like, it's up to you. You take care of them. Uh, and how much that has changed. You know, we see companies like Tesla selling direct and, and things like that. Uh, fundamental shift in how they think about the experience they have to create for the cars that they're making. Super, super interesting. So go and listen to it. Just search for The Inside Track wherever you get your podcasts or click the link in our show notes here. Thanks to The Inside Track and Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So the, the question I have, or really what I wanted to explore with you is, is a little bit about the power of storytelling, because we are sort of almost evolutionarily wired for telling each other stories. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that fuels a lot of the work that you do. It does. I think it is something that makes it really easy for us to align on. Our, actually, our chief data scientist, um, Nate Nichols, runs a, a storytelling workshop for our company. So you can mm. get a, I am very close to getting my um, badge uh, which is actually about telling stories. It's about, you know, you stand up in front of, it's a small, it's run as like a small, uh, as a small group. Uh, you, you get up in front of your work colleagues and tell a personal story, tell a, you know, sort of a more how-to or more objective story. Yeah. Uh, and then you choose and uh, tell another, tell either one of those or something derived from those to the whole company. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really thinking about that craft of, what we do as humans so that we as an organization can apply that as we're making small decisions here and there. Interesting. Um, yeah. So why, why do you think we have such an affinity towards stories? Why, is that, why does that work so well for us? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think it's easy. It makes it easy to remember facts. You know, my mom is great. My mom can tell a great story. And I think for her... Um, sometimes the facts are sort of a little mushy, um, you know, like they, it, my mom, likes my mom adjusts the facts a little bit to make the story better. Right. Um, but it makes it interesting. It's like it, once it's a way to connect as human beings. Um, but I also think it's, it's a very interesting way to understand stuff, right? If you tell me something, um, it, it's, I'm connecting with you and getting information. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I have a feeling there's probably a lot more interesting and insightful reasons why storytelling is good and why people are, you know, and I feel like it's, it's not new. It's certainly like, you know, last seven or eight years, maybe that it's been the thing. Like in anthropology, there's a lot of, um, a lot of hypotheses, a lot of theories around how collaboration was the thing that made us ultimately successful as humans. 
right? Mm. Like set us apart was, and because of so much involved in that, you know, like higher cognitive function, being able to communicate and communicate consistently. And, and, but, but the fact that we could convince each other to work on the same thing meant that like groups of us could do things that individual animals couldn't. I've always really found that as a fundamental, like, oh, all right. Like, you know, telling stories really is what makes us human ultimately. And I kind of really like that, you know? I, I think it seems right. It it does seem like the thing that we do. Um, it's interesting when you look at how cats communicate that they, I, I recently learned that they meow uh, for humans, not necessarily for each other. So now I've been, since I've had a lot of time with our two cats over the last year, <laughs> um, looking at, inst- <laughs> looking for instances where, you know, they're communicating with each other and meowing or not meowing. Um, and it's interesting. So I think, yeah, that idea that, you know, that's how we communicate with each other um, as a way of like formally and sort of outwardly expressing things mm. um, to make those connections. I don't know that our cats collaborate particularly. Well. I, I'm not they're, sure. They're not bad. They're, they're better than most, but I don't know that that helps them necessarily collaborate. But I think that does seem somewhat uniquely human. Uh, I have a dog and she is entirely motivated by self-interest. So I, <laughs> there's no collaboration whatsoever. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious if you could go a little bit through maybe your own background, uh, in design that actually took you to, you know, where you are now. Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about how you shape and, and, and present these stories and things like that. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So actually, there's a really nice uh, coming to narrative science has a very nice trajectory. So uh, I started out life doing book and a little bit of signage design at a small studio in Chicago called Studio Blue. Hmm. Um, And so we designed books for uh, Chronicle books, uh, but also for uh, art museums or museums, um, sort of mid to bigger size museums. The Art Mm -hmm. Institute of Chicago was one of our bigger clients. Went to grad school at the Institute of Design and, you know, came out and thought, oh, I had the strategic planning degree. And, you know, very good friend said, why would anyone hire you as a strategic planner? You have no experience. And I was like, crushed. Like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I've just done this, you know, huge thing. I, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to interact with the world in this way. And it's like, but you have this deep background in understanding information design. And like, you should really think about, you know, information experience, you know, uh, what was it called at the time? Information architecture, user experience architecture, like really think about it. Like, so there's definitely a thread of, you know, wayfinding and thinking about information systems and sort of that comes full circle, um, to what we do at narrative science. I spent a good chunk of time at Motorola mobility, um, working on mobile devices and wearables, uh, and how those sort of emerging technologies work for human beings. Then spent a little bit of time uh, in innovation uh, on innovation teams at United Healthcare and Northern Trust uh, before coming to Narrative Science. Nice, nice. And uh, and now you run uh, a design team. Or tell me a little bit about the. Yeah, we have small. Te- we are small but mighty. Uh, the organization is. Uh, I think we're about seventy five people strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have small design team. Uh, we have uh, interns from the Institute of Design and um, work really collaboratively with our engineering and product management counterparts. Pretty standard for the industry. You know, oh, sure. we have a triad model. 
Uh, so we yep. work pretty standard um, and um, also collaborate with uh, deeply with our colleagues in customer success, product marketing, and then overall marketing. Are you going and solving data problems for user or for customers, or do you work on the product? Uh, we work on the product, but that's how we solve data problems for customers. Got it. I would say the hands-on problem solving is like more of our customer success team and the folks getting data, like the data ingestion teams. I'm curious uh, if if I had an organization with just a ton of data and I wanted to take an approach like this, mm-hmm. um, uh, just what 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 is the process like? Like, where am I looking through the data? What am I looking for? How do I c- kind of shape that into something that I think could be a lot more a lot easier to consume in a yeah. narrative structure? I think well, one of the things are so one of the things you can do is um, you can try an Excel spreadsheet. So, you know, I've downloaded my uh, Spotify data uh, and brought it into Lexio. Uh, and then, you know, there's luckily one of our engineers has actually um, uh, structured uh, stories for Spotify data. Interesting. So I can see that. I can see the patterns. It's not particularly interesting. You know, it's nice because it's mine. What I think is really great about it is it's mine. And so I can really, I can pretty easily see whether it's true or not. So that's one of the things that you can very easily do. You can also look at, we have some sample stories on the Lexio website that you can look at to see and see if those look like more of your data. Um, I think for the more complex hooking it up process, it really depends on the organization. You know, right. so if you work with an organization where there's lots of governance, you know, there's a bit of a, a little bit more of a process to go through. Um, we have smaller organizations we work with that, you know, come in, say, hey, great, like, you know, sign the deal, let's plug it in and, you know, just try it out. Right, right, right. So there is a bit of a, uh, there, there's still a sort of a technical connection between, right? There is, yeah. That requires a level of, of sort of technical competency, I yeah, there is. And usually the role that's doing that is more of an analyst or a builder, like someone who actually understands the data structure, understands and has access to be able to connect the data structure. There is a little bit of work uh, depending on, uh, and, and Lexio is getting smarter every day, but there's a little bit of work to understand the business context of, oh, what do you mean? Like, how do you, how do you calculate your um, end of year? What is your, you know, if you look at like, what is a month to you? What is this, you know? And so there's a little bit of making those connections to make sure sure that when you get a story, it actually reflects how you think about your business. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So that's actually connecting to, so um, we have an ontology and that's sort of like the brain of Lexio. Um, Some of that comes from, you know, subscriptions or things that you can subscribe to that like are out there in the world of artificial intelligence. And a a good chunk of that is also things that we've developed at narrative science by understanding and mapping uh, business context to understand those stories. You talked a little bit about the product getting smarter about it, Mm. having a brain, um, right? Like there, there is this interesting like accumulation of, of, of competency really in many artificial intelligence systems and, uh, and how we as designers, as people who shape experiences, I think, you know, like what is our role? How do we influence that? Where's that heading? You know, what is our role? So our role in that, um, That's a great question. Our role in that is to understand how it's being used 
And making sure that the person who's seeing it on the front end and making some of those decisions understands the implications for that. So in a very simple way, you know, with Lexio, we're reflecting your business data back to you. So we don't have some of the more challenging things where it's like, oh, like I'm, I'm, you know, deciding on a, I'm, I'm making a decision system, right. right? You as a consumer are putting in your personal information and something's going to happen with that and it's going to affect your life. We don't, we don't have that responsibility at narrative right. science, but it is really, you know, I would guess most people haven't actually put their business data in and, you know, had something that, you know, is going to machine that's going to be able to talk about it. And so um, we do in a variety of ways, um, look at what your data is and think about how we reflect those relationships back to you. Um, so, um, some things we, you want to show, be able to show you in context. So how does Lexio write that story? You've made these decisions. So what, right. you know, what does that look like? How do you understand those implications? Some of the pieces too are actually better seen visually. So one of the more exciting projects we're working on now is this, how do we show people in, you know, how do we show people in context? How do we show some of the more visual relationships so that, you know, I, as a, and in this, in this, you know, it's either, it's, it's either an administrator, it's an analyst, it's someone who actually deeply knows the data structure and being able to, you know, step back and say, Oh, I've got the 10,000 foot view. Cool. I understand that. Let me dig into this particular piece and to be able to zoom in and zoom out and feel like they've got it mostly accurate. Then, you know, as you talked about things getting smarter, um, we have the, you know, opportunity in the product for everyone at a business to contribute to making that product and making the way that Lexio talks about their business smarter. Right. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of iteration. I've mentioned you used a fair amount of uh, uh, sort of iterative feedback uh, and things like that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Like maybe talk a little bit about the. We are very fast feedback. We have a Slack channel. <laughs> That's fast feedback. Um, so, you know, I um, I don't know that I started out life this way, but I'm fully convinced that, you know, understanding and making go hand in hand. Um, at Northern Trust, we uh, used an infinity loop, uh, and I think IBM uses it as well, where you understand to make and you make to understand. And I yep. think with all of, you know, and and that goes across a variety of things, right? We might be, and we use it, you know, talking about making things into prototypes is probably, it's one of the things we, you know, my co-teacher and I talk to our students about all the time. Um, but also one of the things that I talk about at work a lot, which is draw it, you know, like put it up as simply as you can. And you don't necessarily have to be a designer, but the more that we can put something into, and I'm reversing myself, but uh, whether you can put something into a picture, you can actually understand it, right? I can say, oh, I see what you mean. And that's how we want this to go. And we can show customers or prospects sketches, you know, pretty loose sketches with some text of like, hey, these are possibilities where we might go with the product. Right. What do you think about these? And yeah. that really helps to deepen the conversation. Interesting. You know, we all of a sudden we get, yeah, actually, um, I, I would say as a researcher, I don't think you should go out without some sort of idea to get feedback on. Interesting. Because yeah, it really yeah, yeah. helps you go. It really helps you get to a level deeper, right? So you're, you're taking, you know, you want to obviously, before you do that, understand objectively where they're coming from, 
right? What's their world like? What's their day like? How is, you know, the space that you're working in affecting them? And then be able to say, oh, cool. I've got, you know, we've got some ideas. The team, you know, I've never met a team, whether it's a business team or a design team that doesn't have ideas before they go out for research, beat up on those as early as you can. Mm, yeah, that was a, the process uh, we spent a lot of time on when we were working on the first iteration and and um, an interface of Google Analytics. Uh, because the audience was one that I had not um, understood in the in the past, uh, which yeah. was primarily ad buying, right? And that process of like, is my is the money that I'm spending on Google Ads being most effectively, yeah. uh, you know, sort of optimized? Yeah. Uh, and so I spent a ton of time sitting in people's offices and saying like. Well, just walk through this spreadsheet that you use. I don't, you know, tell me yeah. everything about it. What are all these sticky notes and what, and what is that weekly meeting and what do you have to produce for that meeting? And, you know, yeah. all of those. And just did that probably 80 or 100 times, right? Just sitting in, <laughs> and we had just more sticky notes than I had ever imagined were possible to to sort of map out that whole process. But um, But yeah, it sounds a lot like what you're talking about. It is. And, you know, and I think from a product standpoint, we're doing that. We, you know, there are other sort of versions of data storytelling products, but right. not necessarily ones that use text in this way yeah. or sort of queue it up for you. And so we, you know, we have a whole business analytics industry, right? We can look at BI and say, ah, what are, what are things doing? What are the patterns in there? And then, and, you know, do we want to repeat those? Do we not want to repeat those? What are the things that are really strong and we think could be helpful? Um, yeah, but we do a lot of prototyping um, to just say, how does this come to life? How could this work? And, you know, I'm fairly convinced the product looks very different than it did a year ago. Hmm. And I'm fairly convinced that in a year, it will also look pretty different. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just, we need to evolve it, you know, as a startup, one of the things we need to do is evolve it quickly um, to reflect our understanding and just be nimble in how that and how it comes to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, any any good resources, pl places we could point people if they, if they are interested in learning more about data visualization or narrative and storytelling and all, and all of those things. Yeah, there's a couple of good things, and I can link, uh, I can connect you to those. Uh, I would say of the different um, places, Gartner has a great. So Gartner is really looking at this realm of data storytelling, um, and saying in business, you know, in business intelligence, this is a uh, a place uh, that you should be paying attention to. Uh -huh. That's a good one to start with. Um, they have uh, their sort of magic quadrant um, that they talk about, and one of them is around. And there's one that uh, talks about uh, data storytelling. I can find some others. So off the top of my head, so visualization, you know, visualizations, there's tons. I think, you know, information is beautiful, is just a great, great, great resource. Um, all of the Tufty books, as always, are a good <laughs> primer. Uh, maybe not like completely hands-on, but uh, are just a great primer for understanding and for thinking. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll I'll I can I'll think of some others. Wonderful. Well, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes, as well as uh, to narrative science and the work that you're doing there. So, yeah. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for being on the program. Likewise, thanks. It's fun. Thank you so much for having me. And that's another episode of Presentable. 
Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.